Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vian. I'm the pastor here and it's a privilege to share the word of God with you tonight. But before I begin, let me just pray for us and then we jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that before anything happens, Lord, or you come and move, shape, heal, teach, guide, lead, Lord. Before all of that, Lord, it's a privilege to come together, Lord, and worship you simply because you are worthy of it, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here tonight, Lord. Lifting up your name with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that through your sacrifice on the cross, it all is possible. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, Lord. You are present, willing to teach, guide, and lead, Lord. And I pray, Father, that tonight, Lord, we would receive everything from your hand, Lord. Whether it's discipline, Lord, reproof, rebuke, instruction, love, grace, mercy, Lord. All of it. Knowing, Lord, that it comes from a loving Father that wants to come and give life. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a bit of a warning before we jump into tonight's sermon. There might be a line or two that is a bit confrontational. But as when we read the Word of God, as we are supposed to, uh, we will not rarely go through a page of Scripture where something is not confrontational. Amen. Whenever we have a clear view of of who we are, and in light of that, examine Scripture with a willingness to obey and examine ourselves in light of Scripture, every now and again we will be confronted with the truth of God's Word. And my prayer for us tonight, as I just prayed, is that we would receive everything from God's hand. The discipline, the reproof, the rebuke, the grace, the mercy, all of it. Knowing that it comes from a loving God that wants to come and give life. And we are going to end off tonight with our sermon series, Teach Us to number our days. We're going to do part three tonight. For those of you who went here for part one and part two, it is on our Facebook. You can go and watch it there. It's also available online. You can just Google Show for Secunda Sermons. So if you have Apple Podcast or Spotify, you can find it there as well. But just to quickly recap for us, we're looking at Psalm 90, the very first psalm ever written. And it's written by Moses as Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness just before they enter into the promised land. And they are not allowed to enter because of their unfaithfulness and disobedience, because of unbelief. And Moses watches as an entire generation of people die in the desert, unable to enter because of unbelief, waiting for a new generation to arise so that they can do what God has called them to do. And Moses, as he watches this, like we said, the minister in history that must have done the most funerals, Day after day, as person after person dies. And Moses sees how lives are wasted. How people are unable to move forward because of unbelief. And all of their life, all of the time spent on earth, meaningless in light of eternity. And in light of that, Moses prays this prayer. And asks God to come and teach us to number our days. 
Teach us, Lord, to live wise and meaningful lives, to come and establish the work of our hands. May what we do here and now mean something in light of eternity. And as we've seen that Moses doesn't focus on a biblical way to plan or to ask God to come and give us wisdom to do time management, all those things are also important. But what Moses focuses on is who God is. A revelation of who God is. And in light of that, if we understand who God is, then we will live in a wise way. We will number our days well. And like we've said, each one of us live our lives according to the revelation of God that we have. The way that we live our lives, the things that we do, the things that we keep ourselves busy with, the things that we deem important, valuable, it will shine a light on the revelation of God that we have. How we view God. Like A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think about God. Because that will shape our entire life. Like we said, Moses focuses on four specific attributes of God in the psalm. He focuses on the eternality of God that we looked at in week one. The fact that God is eternal. And he says it beautifully that from everlasting to everlasting, God is God. You are God. Before you formed the mountains or the earth, you are God from everlasting to everlasting. And beautifully in verse 1, that God is our dwelling place. In other words, he's the one that we long for. He's the one that life revolves around or should at least revolve around. As Moses says in Exodus as well, even before God sends them to the promised land, Lord, if you do not go up with us, then do not lead us out. We will rather remain in the desert than be in the promised land without your presence. We will rather be slaves in Egypt with you, Lord, than in the promised land without you. And that is the same mentality that we should have, knowing that God alone satisfies. And what we do for God, with God, out of love and faith in God, that is the only thing that is worthwhile in this life. And like we also said, that we will die one day. And sometimes we live as if we're not going to die. It's when we waste time, as if we have time to waste, which we don't. Not understanding, not realizing that what we do here will impact all of eternity. Like we said, it's like saying, the way you live the first week of this year will impact the rest of the year. We would have lived the first week a little bit differently. Knowing that that week, what we put in, what we did, what we put into the ground, we will reap that the whole year long. It would be an interesting one week. But the same is true with our lives on earth. Like we say, many times we have this relaxed mentality that now we'll do that next month or we'll get to that next year. I know that I wanted to devote myself to prayer or I know that I wanted to read the Bible. This was the year that I'm going to finish it. You know, who've ever said that? Genesis to Revelation, here we come. Some of the people that really go for it come midway through Leviticus and then it's like, okay, we're done. But this is going to be the year and then we fail and it's like, okay, but now we'll, we'll do it next year. And scripture says, who told you you have a year? We don't know if we have a year. We don't know if we have next week, next month, or next year. The only thing we do now is that we have now. To make the best use of the time now. And when we realize that, that we are not infinite and that God is, we number our days a little bit differently. And with that, we looked at part two, the fact that God is sovereign. It says here that God says, return to dust. God is the one that determines the span of our life. 
He's the one that has fixed the boundaries for how many days we will spend on this earth. And like it says in Job, we will not exceed the boundary. We will not live a minute longer than God intended for us to live. And like we said, it's not the most uplifting part of God's sovereignty, but with that also comes the beginning of life and everything in between. God is the one that determines when we begin to live, when we will die, and everything in between. And like we said, what motivation that should give us in life, the thought that an almighty, holy, sovereign God actually thought of us purposefully as he created us. We're not a product of chance. But the God who created everything actually sat down, thought of you intently as he was busy creating you with the plan that he made you for in mind. And many times we think, you know, I don't know if I'm going to add value, if I'm going to fit into a certain place, or if I can actually, actually contribute somewhere. And in light of that, yes, Yes, you will. Yes, you will add value. Yes, you will contribute because God formed you on purpose for a purpose. And even before we begin to do something, that means that we have inherent value because God is our creator. And also with that, like we said, it should give us great relief. Some of us are so anxious, so worn out, so tired because we're constantly planning life ourselves. Constantly having to come up with ideas. Where are we going to go? How is it going to work? What is the best decision to make? Well, God already knows. Like it says in Psalm 139, all of your days were written down before there was any. God knows. He has the plan. We should simply surrender to God and say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. Show me what you've already planned for me. And like we also said, it's not okay to not do what God has called us to. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, and that's going to be the confrontational part. Because two attributes are main God's severity, God's discipline, God's wrath, anger towards sin. But with that, also God's grace and God's mercy. So let's read through the psalm and see what we can learn. Psalm 90, from verse 1 to 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. For as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your works be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses repeating that phrase there at the end twice. 
See, in the Greek and Hebrew languages, when you want to emphasize something, you don't have an exclamation mark. You repeat what was said. Moses is very serious, asking God, Lord, please establish the work of our hands. In other words, may what we do here and now mean something in light of eternity. Lord, may it not be meaningless. Lord, may it not be life wasted. And an interesting thing that scripture teaches us and that we know that whenever our lives are inside the will of God, whenever we do what God says, whenever we say, Lord, teach us to number our days, you show us what we should do. Whenever we do that, life has meaning. And whenever we don't do that, whenever we are one step out of line with the will of God, it's meaningless, futile, and in light of eternity, it will mean nothing. But the interesting thing of scripture is that it's not only what we do, but also why we do what we do that matters. God doesn't only look at the action, but he looks at the motivation behind the action. And if both are not in line, then it's still futile. And all of us can think back at a time, maybe when we were kids, our parents gave us something to do. Maybe as parents when we needed to do something for our kids. Maybe at work. There's something that you need to do but you don't want to do it. You're just like, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. Let me just get this done. It's not how Christianity works. Not a, oh, let's just get this done attitude. The motivation is very important. And today we're going to look not only at the right action but also the right motivation. And what should motivate us as Christians. But it all comes down to verse 12, like we said. The middle point of the psalm, the focus point, the thing that should happen. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Like we've said both times, I'm going to say it again. If this is the only thing that you take out of this whole sermon series, may it be this. If this is the only application point, if this is the only action you take, let it be this. To intentionally go and sit before God and ask him, Lord, show me, teach me to number my days. In other words, show me, Lord, what your will is. Show me, Lord, what you want me to do. And again, I have to ask us, for some of us, this is the third week that we've heard this. Have we applied? For those of us who have been here the last couple of weeks, have we actually applied this? Did we make the time this week to go and sit before God and ask him, to teach us to number our days? Or are we still busy planning life ourselves? Or just wandering around aimlessly? You see, we'll either revert to one of those two things. Either we will allow God to come and lead, to come and shape, to come and guide. Or we will plan, lead, shape and guide. In other words, placing ourselves in the position of God. In other words, saying, Lord, I know that you have a plan. I know that you want to guide. I know that you have a will. But I think I can do it a little bit better. So let me give it a go. And we don't say it like that, but that's what we reveal by how we live. If we don't want to follow God's leading, then we say, we know better. And for some of us, we're just wandering around aimlessly. We've been so used to doing the same thing day after day and following this little rhythm that we have in life that we can't actually answer the question, where are we going? What are we Intentionally trying to pursue or achieve in life. Just trying to get to tomorrow. And wherever we are, we're supposed to surrender to God and allow Him to come and lead. Because like we say, God in His sovereignty predestined us for a certain plan. He created us on purpose, for a purpose. 
And it's good to bear both things in mind that for those of us sitting here tonight, God has called each and every one of us to specific things. Yes. Certain place to live, certain community to reach, certain things to do that will be specific to you as an individual. But there's also things in general that all of us have been called to do. And those are the things that we should obey and live out fully day after day. To be disciples and to grow in God, to make disciples, to spread the gospel. Regardless of who you are and what you've been called to do, that will be a part of it. And it's not a cozy, nice second option if what we want to try and do in life doesn't work out. Because many times we view Christianity that way. But I know that God has a calling, God has a plan, God has a purpose. You know, I'll give it a go when my plan doesn't work out. See, one of the interesting things about modern day Christianity is that for some other reason we think that when it comes to the commandments of God that they are optional. There's certain commandments where we can just choose whether we want to follow them or not, obey them or not, apply them or not. You see, we want a Christianity where salvation is certain, but obedience is optional. Jesus must come and save. He must come and heal. He must come and lead. He must come and get us and take us to heaven one day, but I will decide whether I want to obey him or not. And many times we kind of justify ourselves. We don't say it like that. But we live that truth. Many times we will, you know, just justify. We will water it down a little bit, our disobedience. And we will say something in the lines of, I'm not going to spread the gospel with my words. I'll just live it with my life. Have you ever heard someone say that? It's just a softer way of saying, Lord, I see that you want me to do something, but I'm choosing not to do it. I'm not going to do it your way. I'd rather do it my way. I'm going to choose which commandments of God we want to apply and which we don't. And there was a pastor in this area that posted a meme the other day and I laughed a little bit at it but it also made me a little bit sad at the same time because it's true and it reveals something about modern day Christianity. And the meme says that there's a person that says, you know, posting the scripture that we all like, maybe I've posted or I've quoted, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've heard it said? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then the other person replies, man, you don't even go to church when it rains. That's the Christianity that we live in. We want to post cool scriptures, but when it comes to obeying God, we are so easy to come up with excuses or to justify ourselves why we don't do what God has called us to do. Or like Marius comes and he says, yes, these missions going out. You feel something stirring inside of you. Yes, maybe this is one I should go. Maybe I should sign up. Maybe I should obey God in this one. But then the thought comes, hey, someone also needs to stay behind in prayer. Everybody can't go. And so we justify ourselves so easily. I can't remember who said it, but they say the problem with modern day Christianity is we want a full-time God, but we want to be part-time Christians. We want a full-time God, but we want to be part-time Christians. And it's in light of that, and Moses being 
aware of that, that he prays the following. Moses is very aware that we cannot choose to obey God. Moses seeing what happens when we disobey God. Moses seeing what the effect of unbelief is as person after person dies. And Moses says in verse 7 to 9, For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Moses is very much aware of the effect of sin, of the effect of unbelief. Seeing how person after person dies. Moses seeing that sin will lead to death. Unbelief will lead to death. I also can't remember who said it, but it said that we either are continuously working to kill the sin in our lives, or the sin in our lives will actively work to kill us. We're either actively working to kill the sin and disobedience in our life, or it will work to kill us. That is the two options. There's no in-between, there's no passive area. And what makes the context of this passage so applicable to modern-day Christianity is that the main problem is not the active disobedience of the Israelites. It's not some external sin that they are committing, but it is their passivity and unbelief that causes them to be unable to do what God has called them to do. It's not active sin that they are committing, but it's passivity when it comes to obeying the call of God that is hindering them here. And the same is true of modern Christianity. We many times feel that now we're actually good and we think that we are better than other people because we don't do that. We don't do that. Luckily, we don't act in that way. Luckily, we don't use that language. Luckily, we don't have that behavior. But Scripture says God is not concerned so much with the active things that we do wrong, but He's concerned with the practical things that we are supposed to get right. Christianity is a following of Jesus. It doesn't say leave the things of the world primarily. It says follow Christ. There's an active obedience that needs to happen when we follow God. That will automatically cause us to stop doing certain things. But that is not the main focus. It is obedience to God that God desires. We've seen for those of us sitting here that are married, when it comes to the practicalities of it, God calls us to actively obey and says, Husbands, lay down your life for your wife. And can we honestly say that there's a single man in here that has gotten that right a single day of his life? No. Lay down your life for your wife as Christ lays down his life for the church. That is a high standard. And if we examine ourselves, then we see we fall short. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Do not try and rule over him. Are we getting it right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the fear, the discipline, and the instruction of the Lord. Are we getting it right? Make disciples, preach the gospel. That's the active call of a disciple. Not so much focusing on external sins that we want to stop doing, but active obedience that God says, Go and inherit the promised land. Walk where I call you to walk. Do what I've called you to do. 
It's in Hebrews 5 verse 12. The writer of Hebrews writes to the church and he says, they want to explain a couple of things about the priestly order of Malachisidic. And they say it's difficult to explain because they've become dull of hearing. And then in verse 12 it says, For by this time you ought to have been teachers by now. But you need someone to again to come and explain to you the basic principles about the word of God. How true is that when it's related to modern day Christianity? The writer is saying the amount of of time that you have sat in church you are supposed to be teachers by now you should have been able to teach bible school to plant out small group to raise up disciples but yet you are sitting passively in disobedience and we comfort ourselves because there's external sins which we do not commit anymore and god says no he doesn't call a passive church to just sit and do nothing but to actively follow him in obedience You see, when we view it in that light, we see how short we fall. And Moses, in light of that, asks the following question. In verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That word consider in the Hebrew can also word know. Or understand. Who understands the power of your anger? Who knows the power of your anger? And in a certain sense, it's a rhetorical question because nobody fully knows, nobody fully understands. But who considers it when it comes to what we are supposed to do in life? The fact that there is a holy, almighty God and it's not okay to not do what he says. He's not happy with that. Even more in light of Jesus that came. Because people would reply, no, God is not angry anymore. Because remember Jesus came. But then disobedience adds to the wrath. Because now we are not only saying that there is a holy, sovereign God we've disobeyed. Now we are saying that there is a holy, sovereign God that also sent his son out of love. And we still disobey. And it is not okay. Like C.H. Spurgeon writes, when the Bible speaks about God's anger towards sin, it never uses a hyperbole. It cannot over-exaggerate it. It cannot overstate it. Because God is holy. It's what his character demands. But likely for us, that when it comes to God's grace, Scripture also never uses a hyperbole. It also cannot be exaggerated. When it comes to the love, the mercy, and the grace of Christ. And it's in light of this, That Moses asks, in verse 13 to 15, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses is aware of the fact that if there needs to be intervention, God must come and do something. God must come and help. God must show mercy. God must extend grace. God must reveal his favor towards us in light of our problem of sin. And then this prayer gets answered and we read the answer to the prayer in John 1, verse 29. And it says the following, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the motivation. It's not mainly the fear. It's not mainly the wrath of God. It's the grace of God in light of that. 
You see, many of us do not understand the good news of the gospel because we are unaware of the bad news of our sin. The severity of it, the weight of it. It's only when we understand the bad news, when the good news makes sense. We read in Romans 2 verse 4 that don't you know that God in his kindness, through his goodness, wants to lead us to repentance? Don't you understand? There is the goodness of God that is meant to lead us to repentance. Beholding that, seeing that. But unlike the Israelites, the moment we disobey, the moment we do not do what God has called us to do, we do not get the same judgment. We do not get the same voice that says, okay, you will die in the desert and you will not take a single step towards the promises that I've called you to know. The voice that we hear is thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. We've received grace upon grace and through faith in him we can receive forgiveness and move on. That is what motivates us. That is the right reason. That causes us not to say, okay, let's just get it done. Now that causes us to say, Lord, I see what you have done for me. And I choose to lay down my life, take up my cross and follow you in light of the work that Jesus has done. Yes, also understanding the fear of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.11 when he speaks about the ministry of reconciliation that we've received as Christians. That we should preach the gospel to the people around us. He says, understanding the fear of God, we persuade men. But then in verse 14 he says, the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ compels us. That is the main motivation. Yes, we understand the fear of God. Yes, we consider the power of God's anger. But in light of that, the grace of God is all the more sweet and all the more motivating. Amen. See, there's a story in Luke 7. I've mentioned it a couple of times and I will continue to mention it. From verse 36 to 50. It's Jesus sitting at the Pharisee's house called Simon. And there's a woman in the town that is known to be a sinner. And she finds out that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. And she runs to the house, pours out expensive oil on Jesus' feet kisses his feet, weeps at his feet, and dries his feet with air. And the Pharisee, thinking to himself, man, if Jesus knew what type of woman this was, he would have not allowed her to touch him. In his pride, not understanding the weight of his sin, definitely doesn't consider the power of God's anger. And Jesus, aware of what he's thinking, says to him, Simon, a money lender lent money to two people, to one five hundred, to one five hundred thousand. He forgave both debts. Who loves him more? And Simon says, the one with the greater debt forgiven. And he says, you have answered correctly. Look at this woman. See the love. See the compassion. See the devotion. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And Jesus is not trying to say that the Pharisee has less sin than the woman. He's saying that the Pharisee doesn't understand the weight of his sin. He doesn't see how short he falls. And the same is true for us. When we see that we are not devoted to Christ, when we do not break at the feet of Jesus, day after day, when we see that God is not the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives, the response should not be to try harder. The response should be, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Look to Jesus. And if that doesn't motivate us, nothing will. Understanding the problem, being confronted with the sin in our lives, with sober judgment, and in light of that seeing the cross of Christ and the forgiveness that God offers, that is what motivates us. 
And this is no free grace gospel. This is not looking to Jesus, seeing what he's done and thinking to ourselves, okay, we'll just continue on then. No. Whenever we receive grace, it will always lead us closer to Jesus, to look more like Jesus in obedience to Jesus. It's not a free grace theology. And I want to end off us with two scriptures. The first one explaining that beautifully. It's John 3 verse 36. And it says the following. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And what I love about this verse, it explains to us what belief actually means. See, it doesn't say that he who believes in the Son has eternal life and he who does not believe doesn't have life. See, he who disobeys. Why? Because disobedience is unbelief. What does it mean to believe in God? It means to obey God. Why? Because we cannot say we believe in a holy, almighty, sovereign God, yet choose not to obey Him. That doesn't make sense. Amen? True faith leads to obedience. Unfaithfulness leads to disobedience. And whenever we disobey because of unbelief, the wrath of God still remains on us. We need to see the weight of us and we need to see the cross of Christ. And in light of that, we say, Lord, I lay down my life and I choose to follow you. There's a song that says, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And to have that realization, you need to understand who Jesus is and you need to understand who you are. How can it be, Lord, that you would die for me? And then he says, amazing love, I know this is true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. Motivation of the gospel that causes us to follow Christ with everything in us. And also knowing that when we do that, that prayer of Moses will be answered. Establish the work of our hands. Lord, let what we do mean something in light of eternity. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. In light of Moses praying, Lord, establish the work of our hands. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What we do for Christ, through Christ, out of love for Christ, will stand forever. That is how God leads us to establish the work of our hands through obedience to the one who laid down his life for us. Let's stand and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father, as a church tonight. And firstly, Lord, we want to repent, Lord. When everything of you, Lord, of you, Father, that is made up by man. That is not worthy, Father, of who you are. And we've been taught, Lord, by the world and by the culture around us, Lord, to view you, Father, as a divine genie in a bottle. And we can go and rub the lamp when we need to, Lord. And ask you to do what we want and to quickly help, Lord, and to quickly assist. And then when we are comfortable, Lord, to put the bottle away and to consult you when we need you again, Lord. We repent of that, Lord. 
And thank you, Father, that how often we've done that, Lord. You have not poured out your wrath upon us, but on Jesus crucified. And we pray, Lord, restore, Lord, biblical view, Father, of who you are to your church, Lord. May we realize once again, Lord, who you are. Sovereign, eternal, almighty God who created everything, Lord. Yet loving, full of grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that from your fullness we've received grace upon grace. And Lord, as a church, Father, we want to say, Lord, we do not want to receive your grace in vain. But we want to receive and use every ounce of grace, Lord, to know you more, to follow you more, to become like you more, Lord. If you are here tonight and you realize that you've been following your own course, you've been planning your own way, and you still haven't sat down before God and asked him to teach you to number your days, to show him what he has planned for you, just if you stand, repent of that and turn back to God. If you are here tonight and you realize that you might be in a place of spiritual passivity, that you've sat in church, that you've professed to know God for years, but you are still unable to instruct others in the faith, still unable to raise up disciples, spread the gospel, just there where you stand, repent of that passivity and turn to God. If you are here tonight and you constantly justify yourself when it comes to obedience, always searching for that specific thing where God has specifically called you to be, Lord, what town, Lord, what work, where should I go? And you're so focused on that that you are missing the general obedience to still make disciples where you are, to still reach out where you are. That is, you just to be all, to repent of that and turn to God. And for those of us actively following God, doing what God has called you to do, growing in Christ, don't you thank Him for His grace? Because only through His mercy are you on course. Every single good thing in our life comes from a good Father that extends grace, that empowers, that leads. And thank you, Lord, that we can come and pray, Lord, as prayers are going up in this place tonight, Lord. As hearts, Lord, are yielding again to you, Father. Eyes lifted up, Father, seeing Jesus crucified. May that, Lord, create in us an eternal motivation, Father, to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow you. I pray, Lord, for every heart, Lord, that is burdened, Lord, by slave mentality, Father. To just do what you've said, Father, because that is what we should do, Father. Not realizing the amazing grace, the sweet sound, the sweet taste of the gospel. Restore to us again, Lord, the joy of our salvation. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And lead us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name.